Howdy and welcome to episode 141 of Water Hockey presented by Grizzly Energy. It's been a while since we have taken a dive into the interview side of things, but that changes today. But before we bring on our guest, as always, make sure to follow us on all social media platforms, all at Water Hockey, and keep up with our fantastic writers at waterhockey.com. Grizzly Energy is a proud sponsor of Water Hockey and is offering a 10% discount off your entire order at grizzlysupplements.com. Crack open a cold strawberry kiwi or orange mango and go wild. Use code WADAHOCKEY for 10% off your order or grab a Grizzly at your local DFW Murphy and QT locations. Go wild with Grizzly. It's the Durs and Fink show tonight, and we are happy to bring our first guest in quite some time. This interview is brought to you by Nice Mitts. Head to NiceMitts.com and use code WADAHOCKEY10 for 10% off your entire order. And up next now, we have Dallas. Well, I thought he was a Dallas native, Chi-Town native, but Dallas Transport, you know, we'll, <laughs> we'll accept it, uh, who spent time in the Dallas Stars Elite organization and is our first ever Ivy Leaguer, having spent his college days playing for Yale University, currently with the Peoria Rivermen. He has played for the Birmingham Bulls and Huntsville Havoc, as well as the Orlando Solar Bears of the ECHL. Welcome to the show. J.M. Petrowski or just J.M.P. How are you, bud? I'm great. I'm happy to be here. I've been seeing water hockey on social media for the last few years, so I'm. Uh, it feels like a dream come true to be here. <laughs> you know, that's kind of that's that's what we're here to do. We're here to make dreams come true. Um, Durs, our Make a Wish kid, new host to the show. Uh, now he's got a sick mic set up. He's got a ring light. When we start doing video, like this kid's gonna be miles ahead of us. There's welcome back to the pod. We missed you last uh, last episode, but you're back. You sound crispy. Your uh, your connectivity, your connection is unreal right now. Um, what's it like being the same level as like a Pat McAfee? Yeah, I mean, you could definitely equate me to uh, to Biz Nasty if we're gonna have to, uh, you know, equal me out to another podcaster out there somewhere but uh feels good feels good you know i got the setup i got the setup going uh i was unhappy with my performance and my in my debut as a as a co-host and uh looking forward to getting my first official interview uh going here well you guys are teammates so that's going to be easy so you guys obviously familiar with each other uh, i was talking to jmp a little bit before we have a couple mutual friends uh, one being skelly uh, who is an, just a huge listener. Skelly also said you did a great job, Durs. I would just like you to know. Uh, he listened. He was one of the the thousands and thousands that tuned into your podcast debut as a host. Um, but I'll ask you both because, Durs, we kind of talked to you a little bit about it. But, JMP, how is the season treating you uh, so far in Peoria? And is it, uh, are you at where you want to be right now? Or where, where are you at mentally and physically with the uh, the season so far? Physically, I feel like it's February. Um, that's for sure. <laughs> About 40 games in now, so it's pretty everyday wear and tear on the body, but um, just managing it like a professional that we are. Um, 
But I think going forward, like we're in a pretty good spot. Team sitting in third place right now. Um, kind of been there all year, really. Like at at the top. Um, but you know, we're we're hungry to to continue to keep winning games. And as I was saying earlier, it's it's getting down to that that time of year where we're just fine tuning everything and and really getting ready for the playoffs because. Um, you know, in this league, it, it's pretty short in the playoffs. You know, it's you win two games, you move on to the next round. So there's not a lot of room for error. And, um, you know, it's been it's been great to get some new lessons this season compared to the last two. Um, I think we've had a lot more adversity this year. Last season, we were first place in, in the regular season. And as nice as that is to get a, a regular season banner, it's it's not what anybody really talks about at the end of the season. So um, you know, I think for a lot of guys that are, are back here this year and, um, you know, for the new faces, we're all looking forward to just finishing out strong and just being peaking, just peaking at the right time as we head into the playoffs and, and really go on a run here. Now, for for those that don't know, uh, Durs did not start the season in Peoria with you guys. So you guys know each other. Uh, you've played with each other for a very long time and in, in different teams and different areas. Uh What's it like when you when you hear that name come up and you have someone uh, that you're familiar with uh, kind of get that call and, and and make that move to a team that you're on? You know, what's what's kind of the emotions? You know, what can you kind of tell people that may not realize, you know, how many people, you know, in the in the industry and what it's like to have someone, you know, you know, from your childhood uh, join the team and, and really just boost you guys to a completely another level? I mean, there is obviously you come in just, you know all-star caliber kind of guy what's that like yeah i think he i think he the last two years that he's come to the team he's fought in his first game uh really making a nice entrance um but yeah i think this is something that we kind of started maybe two summers ago when he was working um whatever job you were doing and you were like i think i want to come back and play and i was like well like i'll call my coach i'll i'll get you on the phone with him like I'll do as I'll do as much as I can, and um, obviously, like a similar situation last year, didn't start the year and then came in. Um, so, for you know, looking back at the last 10, 12 years of our careers, um, you know, the guys that we were playing with when we were U sixteen stars are a lot of them aren't playing anymore. So, it's really cool to have somebody that you know I started on. I started really like progressing in my hockey career with to. Uh, to join forces again and and like I said earlier we're we're really looking forward to competing for another championship this year and I think to have uh to have somebody that I almost won a U16 national championship with me uh to be on my team in the professional level and, and if we were able to uh to make a championship run this year it's definitely something that we would we would never forget Durs do you care to comment on that an almost and and what what would that mean to you, Durs, getting that banner up in the rafters? Yeah, you know, you, you never know when your uh, when your time's going to be up in this game for <laughs> sure. And um, you know, I just got uh, my surgically repaired finger uh, out of the cast yesterday, so um, you know, I thought maybe that could be it, depending on how bad it was. But luckily, I'm back. Um, and you know, to be able to play with a guy that you know I grew up with. Um, you know, at this level and at this stage in my career and, and his career, you know, he and I aren't getting any younger. Um, you know, <laughs> it's just, it's just nice. I mean, yeah, if, if something's going on, um, that I don't like, or, um, or I don't understand, you know, I can always, uh, 
I'd always hit up JM and, and, you know, kind of bounce things off of him, um, which you can't necessarily do in every team because in some teams you don't know anybody that well and you just got to keep it to yourself. Um, and JM also knows uh, how I play and can kind of, you know, tell me, uh, hey, you I'm need pretty to good at motivating him. Yeah, yeah. He he likes to he likes to tell me things, um, you know, to tough to love. Wake, some may call it to wake me up. Um, he's actually told me twice in my life to fall down some stairs before a game, and both times um, that that happened. One was when we were sixteen. I had a hat trick, and then another was uh, was this year, and uh, and I had a big goal and an assist in that game. So. He saves those for the really desperate times, but uh, luckily, you, you know, gotta he, give he... at least a little bit of context because it wasn't like I was actually <laughs> telling you to fall down some stairs. It was more yeah. of just friendly banter that kind of ended with me walking out of the room in a joking, maybe a little bit erratic way. But um, I think he knows he he knows at the end of the day what I actually meant. It was just a it was just a way to motivate him, and look, it worked. So I'm not really yeah. complaining. Yeah, at this point, he knows that when he tells me that something good happens. So at this time. You know, it was it was purely for the success of of myself and the team. So appreciate. I'm gonna that say I'm gonna save the uh, the third one of those for a moment that we really need it from you. So I'm gonna keep yeah. that in my bag of tricks for now. Yeah, I overtime mean, in the manifest, playoffs. Yeah, manifest a championship game. You look yeah. at Durs and you're like, hey, take the stairs, pal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, for I mean, we can't we can't waste it. Uh, you know, on one of these regular season games, we definitely got to wait till playoffs. So. Um, I'm sure I, I trust him to make the, the right decision there. But um, Jimmer, you know, I, th I think uh, I think you have a really interesting story um, and maybe not one that uh, a lot of people have or have heard before. Um, and I'd like to kind of take people through it um, in the most efficient way possible here. Um, you know, you grew up in Naperville, Illinois, suburb of Chicago, uh, for the most part, for the beginning of your life um played some played some hockey there um and you know played for the fury when you were 14 and then decided to make the the move to dallas um in 2011 there to come play on the on the 16 and under uh dallas stars elite triple a team with me and you know a bunch of our buddies and um you know what what kind of led to you making that decision because to a lot of people dallas isn't necessarily a hockey hotbed so um for you to move from a place like chicago to dallas um is not is is kind of out of the norm so just kind of talk about what made you make that decision yeah it's it's definitely not something i think a lot of the people our age were kind of making the opposite move going and getting out of dallas and going to places like chicago or detroit um but i think that like for me i have a lot of family in dallas and i was living in chicago playing hockey there a bit behind developmentally like physically uh as you remember when i when i first showed up i was not the stature that i'm at right now um yep. so it's yep. kind of like just gonna use some extra calories on you back then for yeah. sure <laughs> i was a i was a small fish in a big pond and so um i know this is a, a texas hockey podcast so this is a great place to start um but i i mean i every time i tell the story i i attribute like if I didn't move, if I didn't make that move to Dallas, I, I don't think I would have ever made it to the USHL. I don't think I ever would have made it to college. And I don't think I ever would have made it to professional hockey. So, um, you know, I, I, I went down to Dallas one spring, maybe like in April or May. And I remember I skated with Addy with the U18s and 
it was kind of just something like my dad had a lot of of emails back and forth just saying like hey we're gonna be in town like visiting family like would you mind if my son came out and skated and they were like yeah sure come out so i was there and i just had like one one skate there and um i did well enough to where like okay we have tryouts in june so come back and um at that point i was a bit frustrated with with the chicago hockey environment like i said i was a small fish in a big pond and i was a little bit behind you know developing but uh i think it was just something that i was looking for a change and it made sense with my family as well like i said i had i had extended family lived in the area and, and my dad worked from home so it, it didn't really matter where we lived um and then there's also the added advantage of of no state income tax so he was all about it um and it was weird because i was in the middle of high school and and most kids probably don't really want to move in the middle of their high school but I think at that point I was so dedicated to hockey and I had always just had it envisioned that like I was going to be a hockey player. You know, every, every kid dreams of, you know, I want to play in the NHL. And so I just always wanted to, to just ex expand my role every year um, and just really like find a way to reach my full potential. And so the opportunity in Dallas came about and kind of was like, all right, well, you can play on this team and so i had the conversation with my parents like are we gonna do this are we gonna up and move and uh i don't think i ever really even thought twice about it like i was i was ready to go and i was ready i was excited about moving to dallas and it was going to be different but uh I, I met so many great people and i got just a new look on my hockey career a new outlook and just a just a great opportunity playing for sylvie at the U16 team and then the next year playing for Addy. Um, but it really just gave me, like I said, it just gave me a better opportunity to to not be so in my shell of like, oh, all these kids are better than me and they're committing to college. That's how it felt like in Chicago. There's, you know, I'm 14 or 15 and I have friends that are committing to college already. I'm like, <laughs> I'm just trying to make, make the AAA team at this point. Um, so yeah, it, it was kind of a no-brainer having said all of that, and I think from day one, like I would, I would pin it on on Dursey. Like I remember one of the first practices after getting to Dallas, like he took me out to eat afterwards and was like, "This is what we do. Here's our here's our group of guys. Like we like they've been playing together forever." And so I was kind of like the I was the Chicago kid. That's what everybody like referred to me as when I first got there. And you know, I think. Um, not to toot your horn too much, but I think you, you brought me into the Texas Hockey Boys Club. And, uh, you know, from there on, we we kind of always resort back to that every time we're home in the summers. And, and obviously now we're playing together. So it's pretty cool how it's come full circle. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, uh, a lot of people don't understand the significance of our 2011-2012 uh, season U16 AAA team. But uh, the majority of us have been playing together for eight or nine seasons and it went back as far as like playing double a from uh first year squirt all the way to first year uh, midget and um we had a team of all guys from texas except for jm and we rode it all the way to the national championship game for u16 triple a um which we had no business being there realistically. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think only I think only like four of us played like hockey, like real hockey after um 
you know, after we were done with our youth careers, like some guys went and played club college and stuff and, and had a good time, but um, talking NCAA or, or pro, I think only like four or five of us even rode with it after that. And uh, I mean, we beat some teams to get to that game um, that had some crazy names on it. Um, Yamamoto was on one of the teams that we played. Um, and I mean, just, just an incredible season. And, and, uh, and JM was a big part of that. And so, was pretty crazy. And the team we lost to in the in the national championship had their own show that was sponsored by McDonald's and was on NHL Network. It was called Making of a Royal. It was like the Long Island Royals. Their coach was Pat LaFontaine, like yeah, pretty Hall of Famer NHL player. Yeah, Hall of so Famer. I still think there might have been some uh, some backdoor rigging of of that championship series, but um, you know, I'm at this point, I'm okay with second place. At this point, we have pretty good memories. Finker, we show up to the national championship game up there, and we're playing in New York, and this is the Long Island Royals. So, like, it's it's basically a, a home. It's a home. Game. It's a home game. Yeah. Yeah, and the place is juiced with people. Yeah, I mean, I've never just, played in front of that many people before. Just packed, and like a small, small, minuscule percentage of those people are our parents, and everybody else there is chanting the Royals' name and going nuts <laughs> for these guys. We go on the ice, and they they announce every single guy of every team. Because it's youth national championship. It's just what they do. Yeah. And they they fly through our roster, you know, Andrew Durham, Jim Piotrowski, Blake Delisle, you know, whatever, who like just very quick. And then and then it gets to the Long Island team, and they've got fog coming up as they're coming up on the ice. <laughs> and they're announcing their team nice and slow, very enunciated. People are going nuts. And they get to their coach, who's Pal Offentine, you know, NHL Hall of Famer. Um and they're like the head coach of the Long Island Royals is Pat La 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 Fontaine, <laughs> and I'm sitting there like, oh man, this is uh, yeah, we're in one. Yeah, this is not good. <laughs> and then and then I do remember like we, uh, I mean, we were like, all right, we could win this, but I mean, looking back, I got they were a much better team than us. But we scored the first goal of the game, and it was like you know, like like you said, we have our parents there, and so they're cheering, and it's like, oh yeah, okay, cool, we scored the first goal of the game, we might have a chance here. They score the, they score a goal to tie it up and the like like I said this is the most I've ever played in front of in my entire life at this point and the building <laughs> felt like it just erupted and the roof like, blows oh, off the place yeah, and we're like yeah. oh yeah and then so we went up to we went up one nothing and held that lead for the whole first period went into the second period up one nothing and we lost the game six <laughs> one oh I think it was only like four one I don't think it was six one. Either way, after the first period, we didn't even we get didn't a sniff. Score again. Yeah, we yeah didn't it wasn't again. even close. But we were a guy. We were a bunch of guys from Dallas, Texas, that just took it to multiple teams with like NHLers on it now. So, jokes on and them. And the 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 funny part too is, like I said, they had that TV show, and they were like, you know, showcasing the journey of this team, obviously all the way through to the like national championship, and they. <laughs> I remember watching and I was so pissed off because they spent so much time on the semifinal game against the Chicago Mission, who had other guys that are like I think William Nylander was on that team. Like like Nick Schmaltz might have been on that team too. Like six. Sonny guys. Milano. I think Sonny yes. Milano. Yeah. And so yeah, they they had like the the bulk of the storyline was just built up against that team. And then they're like, Oh yeah, and then they played Dallas and won. <laughs> I was like, oh, Yeah, and these, these scrubs from Texas where they ride horses everywhere came into town. And yeah. They they, I think they I got, got off like, the saddle maybe, and then it was over. I think we got maybe, you know, thirty seconds of airtime. Yeah. So 
It's cool yeah. to be on the NHL Network as a as a 16 year old. I'll take it. I guess we were nothing but a speed bump for those fellas. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. That's for sure. But I was like, I mean, some of the guys on their team were just disgusting. I can remember um, I was matched up against Josh Bailey's line that game, and I can remember in the second period thinking like, "Fuck." <laughs> I, I I can't play with this guy. Like he's just working yeah. me. You're like, man, if I had some stairs right now, yeah. I could absolutely throttle this guy. And I, I had had a good tournament. I was feeling good about myself. And then immediately during that game, I was like, okay, I've got uh, I've got a ways to go. Uh, Back to reality. Here. Yeah, I got a ways to, got a ways to go here. I don't think I'm doing anything else next year except for playing 18 units for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Jimmer, um, you know, moving on from there. You and I uh, progressed the next year, went and made the 18U AAA team for the Dallas Stars Elite. Um, same organization, just one step up. Um, and you had a pretty good year, uh, played. Um, you, you had over a half a point per game for your for your first year. I had a similar year. Got through that year. We weren't a great team. Got to our second year, U18, and you and I really wanted to go to juniors. We did not want to be on that team that year. And um, JM goes, we, ha- we have a showcase. It was in like Michigan or something. JM goes and has back-to-back hat tricks against like Bell Tire and like Victory Honda or something. And like teams that you probably shouldn't be having back-to-back hat tricks against. And um, immediately gets uh, called up to the Fargo Force of the USHL. Um, and I can remember being mad at him saying, oh, you're just going to leave me here because... At that point in my life, I felt like I shouldn't be playing youth hockey anymore, um, which was probably a little, um, a little cocky of me and you know a little arrogant. But uh, when you're young, you don't really know much better, and um, it's kind of where your career took off, man. I mean, um, you played almost 30 games for Fargo, had 11 points, not bad for a guy who just came up from from youth hockey there. Um, the next year, you go and play in the Null um, to start things out in uh, in Bismarck. Um, heck of a town up there. Um, <laughs> and almost, you know, you'll get close to a point per game for a bit. Um, have 101 penalty minutes in 40 games. Huge. Um, so that's, yeah, that's not too bad. Uh, you're putting butts in seats for the organization, which is what, uh, which is what they pay you to do. So, yep. um, really living up to the null, to the null name there. And uh, get called up to Sioux Falls uh, in the USHL that year. And, uh, walk into the team and end up winning a, a Clark cup in the USHL, which not a lot of people can say they've done. Um, I didn't even get, I didn't even get a sniff at the USHL. So, um, you know, can you, can you talk to us about how, you know, how you managed to manifest that? Um, and not only did you make the league, I mean, you won, you won the whole, the whole enchilada and, uh, a lot of good players have come out of the USHL, like some very, very good players. A lot of them play in the NHL, um, some big names, and uh you know that's no small that's no small feat to win a clark cup in ushl so um you know how'd you how'd you manage to do that and uh and you know was it was it just a surreal moment or how did that all happen super loaded question so i'll try not to ramble too much but i think first of all one thing that really like you maybe touched on a little bit when you're young you don't really know but i think getting cut from teams really humbles you a lot and teaches you a lot you either you either learn a lesson or, you know, some people that get cut, it's just like, that's the end for them. And so I've been cut tons of times in my career. And I think like every single time I'm like, all right, that means something good is coming. So like I played that year, um, 
like you mentioned, I got called up to Fargo and then played the rest of the year there and then went back the next year and got cut right at the beginning of the season. That's how I ended up in Bismarck. And I think for a while it was like, I was really struggling because all I was thinking about was like, I just got to get, I got to get back to the USHL. I want to get back to the USHL. And when you do that, you tend to kind of like not be present and you don't perform your best. And I think after Christmas, I, I went, I, you know, I had a break going home and, you know, seeing my family and just like getting away from hockey for a bit. I went back and I'm like, okay, I'm just going to focus on, you know, being a hundred percent present where I am in Bismarck, like just really, enthrall myself in the moment and then um i had a great month of january and first week of february is when i got traded to sioux falls and then um you know within a month of that was the same time that i started talking to to yale and i committed another week after that i committed to yale so it was like a crazy a crazy two months to start i guess it was 2015 um like going from, wow, I don't know if I'm ever going to get out of this league or like my hockey career is going to progress to where I've always thought it was going to be to, you know, three, four months later, not only only am I back in the USHL, I'm committed to Yale. And then, um, you know, a month after that, we go into the Clark Cup playoffs and I end up winning a championship. So it's just one of those things where, you know, I, I for, for any like, young hockey players or, or or even parents who are guiding young hockey players or even coaches whatever it is like there's so many lessons you can learn from from failure which sounds cliche like i'm not the first person to say this but that was really like what did it for me and i think from a young age like being exposed to you know it's you don't always get what you want and it, i think it makes strong it makes strong people to sometimes not get what you want and so i always just kind of kept climbing getting back on the horse and being able to live my 18 19 year old years in north dakota and south dakota is definitely very unique it's but the it's hawaii of the that, north i've been told yeah yeah something something like that but honestly like people ask me like what was that like it, it was so cool because i i realistically don't think i'll ever live in north dakota or south dakota again but like most people probably will never even go there let alone live there for a few months out of the year so um really really cool hockey towns fargo bismarck uh sioux falls like no nhl teams there obviously like north dakota has um you know college hockey is huge there uh but they do a really good job supporting their their junior teams and um sioux falls my first year like when i got traded there was their first year of their brand new denny sanford uh premier center like ten thousand seat arena and we would like we would have games where it was packed it was sold out um and so like going from like i mentioned the the most i'd ever played in front of was that national championship game but it's like within two years i'm playing in front of ten thousand people if you would have told me that i would i would have like had to pinch myself because like i just never thought that that was something that would actually become reality um and, and definitely uh kind of like a our team so when i was on fargo we finished dead last in the league and then the next year i ended up on sioux falls and we won the clark cup so i went from worst to first and it was kind of one of the one of the sayings that uh me and a teammate mikey asimont he plays for tampa bay lightning now um just a name drop so i feel better about myself is that good um humble, yeah humble. <laughs> but i remember after after we won because he got traded from fargo to sioux falls like a little bit after me so we both kind of went from 
last place. And then after we won, he was like worst to first. And that's kind of stuck with me. Um, but yeah, that, that game that we ended up winning the Clark cup was at home and everybody's wearing like blue t-shirts that they left on the, on the seats for each gate, uh, for the, for the game. And like, there's 10,000 people there and we end up winning, um, pretty handily. Uh, it was just definitely, it felt like the Stanley cup winning it at that point. And, um, you know, confetti flying off the fireworks, fans are going crazy, but, uh, Having said all of that, just a lot of uh, you know jumbling words around, but I think to answer your question, yeah, it was it was a pretty surreal ride, and um, you know I'm just fortunate to have been able to experience a lot of things that many people don't get to do. Now, before we kind of jump into the next part of your career, obviously playing at Yale is uh, no small feat. Um, obviously, you are brilliant for being there, so we'll dive into that too. Uh, you're wearing a hoodie. It's got your initials on it. And I was told that it's part of a clothing brand. Are you a, are you a fashionista of sorts? Are we are we talking to the next Austin Matthews like the Austin Matthews of the SB right now? Of sorts, I guess would be a great way to put it. Uh, so I I guess it was it was July 2020. I, you know, obviously nothing's going on in the world at this point cuz COVID's kind of shut everything down and during college I always kind of had this like, you know, you, everybody kind of goes through that. Like, what am I going to do with my life? And obviously hockey was number one, but, um, fashion was always something that I really enjoyed on the side. Um, but being a hockey player, I think it's a lot different now, but at the time, you know, hockey is all about, you know, the team game and, you know, there's no room for individual individualism. No, I shouldn't say there's no room, but there's not a lot of room for individualism. So I kind of shied away from that for a while, but I think Growing up and just maturing, you know, I was 25 at that point. Um, I was like, you know what, I, I'm just going to try to, I'm going to start making clothes. And like, I had started, I just was making them for myself. Like I, and then like tie dye was kind of coming back at that point. So I started like making tie dye sweatshirts and, and, you know, hoodies. And then I would just post them on my Instagram. Like, oh, I made this shirt today. Like day, day 19 of sitting in my house doing nothing. haven't left. So that kind of became like my hobby and I got enough people that were like, Oh, I would totally buy one of those. Those are really cool. And I was like, all right, well, I don't even know if there's going to be a hockey season next year. And that's kind of my livelihood. So I might as well try and do something like that I can do from my own home. And so I just, I ended up going and like, I learned how to make a website. I learned how to, um, you know, like just, take photos of myself and and all the products I was making just try to document everything and it was really fun like it was a, it was a project that I was like working towards every day it, it never really felt like a like a job um and so yeah I kind of just like grew in and I was like all right I'm gonna call it like house of JMP so it, it ended up becoming like a, a hobby that turned into a good little side business and and now three years later three I guess yeah about three years later um it's crazy like in peoria there's so many people that have supported my business and i make hoodies i also have like hockey jerseys that i started doing last season and so i'll go to games and i'll see people in tie-dye hoodies and like my tie-dye jersey and it's just like a, a cool feeling to have like something that started as just a hobby and like almost as a joke become actually like a little bit renowned in my own little small world that I have here in Peoria. Um, 
uh, where it goes from here, I'm sure that's your next question. I don't really know. If, I haven't evolved much from from tie dye, and like I mentioned, the jerseys, but uh, it, it's cool and it's something like that I can call my own. And it's just like it's nice to to have hard work, you know, yield some sort of result. And that's where I'm at with it right now. Yeah, I mean, no, I, I think I think honestly, you know, kind of doing this in the podcast and having some merchandise, I I 100 relate. So it's it's definitely I I completely agree and, and and know that same feeling when you look up and you're you've got someone wearing your logo with your brand on it with your your namesake. So, um, but and I don't I don't mean to shy away from that because I think that's something that everyone can kind of take into account and really like, you know don't sell yourself short on you know if you're bored if you have the time one of those things where if you have the idea go through with it but i, I do want to get to the fact that you did go to yale um you know as, as Jersey kind of foreshadowed there a little bit so take us through that process because obviously that's an ncaa school and you know it's no short feat to play ncaa hockey which i think has grown exponentially in the past even just five to 10 years more so than what it, what it was before. What was that decision process for you like? Um, and, and what did it mean for you to kind of put that Jersey on, get that experience and, and not just call yourself a, a NCAA, you know, D one hockey player, but having that, that experience at Yale and, and being able to say, I went to an Ivy league school and that's something that you can take with you forever, even after your playing career is over. I'd like to go ahead and give some context to that too, though. I knew JM in high school, and he went to one of the most questionable high schools of all <laughs> high schools ever. It was called the I School, and it was just like go for a few hours a day because you have like a sport you're playing and all make AP it work. classes though, make it work type point. thing. And so, you know, I don't know whose palms you greased at the admissions office over there at <laughs> Yale, but like, you know, when I heard that you committed to Yale, I was like, you got to be kidding me, like. This fucking hey, guy. The numbers don't lie. I got my um, test scores all in line, and my GPA seemed to match. And obviously, the hockey was there as well. I'm but like, I appreciate does, you trying to bring me down here. How does Yale? <laughs> how does Yale accept a guy from a school like this? Like I was just. There's no way that high school is on the list of you know accepted uh, accepted high schools. But uh, you know, you know, credit to you. Now that you, you mention it, you I'm, not it e I'm not even sure. I'm not, I wonder if. I wonder if they're even still in business. I don't even I think they exist. But that's what I mean. Like I think they have the government they have dissolved. Them down. They yeah. caught on to the scam because it's, no, a, it's, uh... it's a fraudulent. <laughs> it's a fraudulent way to go to high school. I feel like. Um, well, it certainly made my jealous. life a lot easier in high school. That's for yeah, sure. Hundred um, percent. But I, I think it goes back a long, a long way before that. I, I like my my parents were both Division One athletes. Uh, my sister was a div Division One athlete. So it kind of was always in my family, um, and I didn't want to be the one to let everyone down. Um, as as harsh as that sounds, like it just I kind of always felt like a little bit of pressure in the back of my mind, but also confidence in the same in the same breath because I was like, if, if they were able to do it, there's no reason why, you know, I can't make it happen for myself. But having said that, my parents were always very adamant about me doing well in school from as long as I can remember. So. School was something that I always took just as seriously as hockey, um, even though it wasn't as fun as hockey. Um, I wouldn't say I was like a, a, a brainiac or a nerd or somebody who like stayed up and like doing calculus in my bedroom till two in the morning. It was nothing like that, but That's I was just able to uh, 
yeah, I was just able to like always make sure that my grades were pretty good. And, and I always had, you know, in the back of my mind, like, it'd be really cool to go to an Ivy league school. Um, I won't say on here, which one I, I really wanted to go to when I was a kid. Um, but I will say that when I got a phone call from Yale, I, I'll actually tell you the story of how it all started. I was in Sioux Falls and like, we practiced at maybe three o'clock, um, in the afternoon. Cause some guys were still in school. So, uh, I wasn't much of an early riser. I, it was probably like, you know, 11 o'clock in the morning and I'm still in bed and I hear my phone vibrate. I look over and I see like 203 area code, which now come, I come to know is uh, New Haven, Connecticut. And I'm like, who the, who could be calling me from Connecticut? Like, I don't know anyone from Connecticut. So I just let it go to voicemail and uh, I get a voicemail, you know, 30 seconds later, I'm like, all right. So usually that's what people do now. If you don't recognize a number, you just let it go to voicemail. If it's important right. enough, they'll leave a voicemail. So I, at this point, I'm like, all right, I'm awake now. So I'm like, all right, I'll check this voicemail. The first three words I hear are like, hi, JM, this is Dan Muse from Yale. Like when I tell you I couldn't have tried, like I couldn't have clicked the button fast enough to call him back. Like it was, my heart started pounding and I was like, oh my God, what is this? Like, how is this real? Like what's going on? They, he basically just said, you know, we're, we had a couple of guys that decided to take an extra year of junior. So we're looking for players to come in um next season and you're one of the names that we're looking at right now um and so it was actually crazy because this is like i mentioned it was the beginning of march and for trying to get somebody into yale like at this point everyone's already applied and like they have all of their information in and like the the deadline is i think within a week so they're like trying to be able to just not only commit me hockey wise but like be able to get me into the school in enough time so they're like, we're going to take a couple of days, do a little bit more research, but we just want to let you know that we're thinking about you as one of our, our potential options. And I'm like, okay, cool. And so a couple of days later, they're like, yeah, we want to like formally like offer you, you know, verbally commit, whatever. Um, but the only stipulation is you have to do all of your, your application in the next seven days. Otherwise you're not going to be able to meet the timeline to be able to like enroll for next year. And so now I'm like, okay, not only do I have to decide on whether I want to do this, like meet, meet with my family and be like, okay, is this what I'm doing? Cause at this point I really didn't have any other like firm offers. I was like talking to a couple other schools, but nothing, nothing this serious. And at that point I kind of figured I was going to play another year and just age out of juniors. Um, long story short though, I was like, yes, this is exactly what I've been waiting for my entire life. No brainer. I have to do this. So my family was on board and, um, then I just am like, all right, I got to get all this done. And we're leaving for a road trip, go from Sioux Falls to go to Youngstown, Ohio in like two days. So I'm like doing all this on the road, got my laptop, like trying to do all these applications. I'm emailing my old high school teachers and I'm saying like, hey, can you write me a letter of recommendation? Just like praying that they even remember who I am. And You're texting mom saying, hey, I got a couple extra pages on this application. If you have some extra time, go ahead and just clock in there. <laughs> yeah, just just. <laughs> calling like at this point like because i'm two years out of high school so i'm like hey i've never applied to college can you help me like with the common app like what do i do here like what kind of essay did you have to write i wish i could even remember what it was but i'm sure it was i'm sure it was pretty riveting information i was putting out on those pages but yeah long story short it was you know i, I was able to get everything done in the seven days and then it was like okay now i have to wait and 
the coach that was recruiting me, um, I was asking him, I probably asked him five times. I'm like, so like, what happens like if I don't get in? Cause I was so worried, like I'm committed to the hockey team, but like, what happens if I don't get into the school? And I was so nervous about not getting in. And he was like, you know, like, oh, it doesn't usually happen. Like you should be fine whatever, blah, blah. But like, come to find out after I get the email saying like, you're in, you got accepted. He was like, yeah, we knew right away you were, you were going to get in. It, it was never a big deal, but we just weren't really allowed to say anything. Cause you had to go through like the formal process through the university. Which I respect. I mean, I think that's yeah. the right what way a to do job. it. But what a hose job. Yeah. If the old guard of Yale figures out they're letting <laughs> yeah. randos in with no yeah. with no issues, there's going to be they, hell to pay for But sure. as long as he's got hands, bring him on in. Yeah, they could have saved me a little bit of anxiety. Yeah, if they were looking for hands, they were look they were going to the wrong guy. But <laughs> needless to say, yeah, it was it was really cool. And you know, there was a lot of guys that are I was playing with on in Sioux Falls that were already committed and I was one of the last guys on the team. So they were all all really happy for me and um you know i guess the rest is kind of history from there it's it's cool to i would say just you know before we get into if you want to get into more of the actual experience there the hardest part is definitely getting in and that's what everyone says but um the hardest part about getting into an ivy league school or graduating from an ivy league school is getting in um I so I do I do want to point out though what a power move you made. You sent Yale to voicemail. Like <laughs> what a power move. Like hey, he rolled back over and said, I'm going back to bed. I don't know who's fucking calling yeah. me at this oh, hour. It's 10 45 a.m. Can't be bothered. Voicemail. He's like, I'm oh, in the, the U show. I'm in the U show. Leave me alone. It's yeah. 10 a.m. I'm resting. These legs aren't gonna like like go themselves what are you guys yeah. doing it's 10 45 like, a.m clark cup this year ever heard of it i got things to do sorry i've got a game at 7 45 tonight i have to be well rested yale yeah i'm actually wait. gonna tell the story that way next time i never thought about it that way yeah ultimate power move but yeah so he, he let him sweat a little bit he let him sweat. yeah yeah you know it's it's the it's the classic tactic and i want to i want to emphasize this next part because um you know shout out to durs for doing the research writing the notes but you know, I, I don't want it to seem like it's spitefully coming from him. Uh, but yeah, what was the daily daily life like? Um, obviously, D one school. There's a lot of uh, perks to it um, from a from an ath- athletic perspective, uh, hockey life, social life, etc. But in all caps, he puts, "How did you graduate?" <laughs> yeah. Well, and for for people who don't know what JM uh, what his appearance is like. Uh, I'm talking a uh, six foot Caucasian male with bright red hair down to his shoulders. Back then, might have even been past his shoulders. A uh, couple tattoos at an early age, uh, possible ear piercing already at that age, <laughs> and um, you know a, a flair for the style and the jewelry as well. I'm thinking some of the uh, academic weapons over there at Yale were looking at you in their <laughs> class, going, uh, "Hey, like, is that you know?" this guy must have greased some palms to get in here. There's no way. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, I definitely you know, snuck out a little bit. You know, did you get any, uh, was, did you get any weird looks or comments on the hallway, people knocking your binder over, you know, stuff like that? Well, I think the best part about it was I was 20 at this point. So I went in and I'm sure you're familiar with the same thing. Like you're going in with all the people that are in your class, but I'm two years older than everyone. Um, so I had a little bit of leverage in that sense. And then being on the hockey team kind of gives you an extra added benefit right away at Yale. There's not a ton of, I mean, the, the basketball team, 
uh, is Division One, but not a ton of physical that, and, specimens. A lot more mental yeah, specimens yeah. there. It's okay. Basketball, it's okay to lacrosse, say. I would say. Yeah. Um, Big chess. The main school. sports there. Yeah, but I definitely. Yeah, I, I think I will push back a little bit on that. I don't think I was the. I need to be careful with what word I use here. I wasn't the most unique looking person on campus. Let's just leave it at that. Um, Very yell answer. I I mean, Um, I can believe it. I was more meaning you were not necessarily the most um, textbook looking Yale. Typical. Yeah. You know, when I I picture someone who goes to Yale, it's not you. I wasn't wearing khakis and a blue blazer. That's for sure. Yeah. You know, your father hadn't gone to Yale. Your father's father hadn't gone to Yale. Your mother's a, father's father's father didn't go to Yale. Maybe a tie-dye blazer. No, but I, I, did, I did meet a lot of the people who uh, who did have who did fit that criteria. But I think just to answer your, your basic question of how did I graduate, it's, it's um, definitely – this this isn't meant to be taken the wrong way, but, like, it being on the hockey team or just being – and, like, the people you meet, it's it's – Getting through college is a is a team effort. I think there's a lot of uh, there's a lot on your plate just being an athlete to start. You know that's almost a full ch- full time job in itself, and then you add like the workload of um, you know four or five classes during the week. Uh, it's it's a lot, but I think they th- that kind of goes back to my point earlier is like they they really do their research on who they're allowing in because they figure if you can pass all of their standards to be like, okay, this person is fit for Yale, they're banking on you being good enough to graduate and hopefully go out and get a high paying job so that one day you can go back and donate millions of dollars to their university. That's, that's their plan. Um, I don't know if I'll get in trouble for saying that, but, um, so essentially really sort of a, sort of a Ponzi scheme type deal going on. They really don't want, they don't want you to fail. Like it, it doesn't do them any good for you to fail out. So, um, not saying that it's an automatic cakewalk, but I, I think it, it's pretty manageable. And like the, the time management is, is really your key. Like it, you have X amount of hours in a day and X amount of it is going to hockey and weightlifting and whatever else you want to do. But um, I think like as long as you're able to meet certain deadlines a few times a year, it, it wasn't it wasn't ridiculous in the amount of workload like that I had to perform every day with some sort of um, assignment. It was more so like you have to keep up with the workload on your own as things go on throughout the semester. And then you have your midterms, which is a big part of the, of the grade and then finals, obviously uh, for, for the most part with my schedule. So I was a political science major and it was a lot of writing, uh, a lot of papers which I love to do. Uh, I, I think I really found another passion of mine in writing and not as much reading, but definitely writing. And, and um, you know, I think as long as you're ma- able to manage, manage your time without somebody telling you, okay, now you have to do this. Okay, now you have to do that. If you can learn how to do that on your own. And so for some people it, it's, you know, I have to do this every day for this amount of hours, but other people can be like, okay, I can cram this all week before the exam and I'm just fine. So I would say I'm definitely more of the latter. Um, I do my best work when my back's against the wall. And I guess that's, that's my secret to how I graduated is 
give me enough pressure with not enough time to get something done and I'll figure out how to make it work. And it puts you in the zone. I was the same exact way. I'll, I'll wait yeah. until an hour before the essays do. And I'm like, all right, I'm locked <laughs> in baby. Now I don't have a choice. So it's like, yep. I gotta, I gotta get it done. Yep. Now for some of the more important questions though, you know, what were, you know, what was the freshman year GPA first? Oh my gosh. So I'll, I have a good story for this. You know, my... was, it, was your hoop a little tight after freshman year or were you, were you, <laughs> were you confident? First semester was definitely a learning experience. So like, like I mentioned, it's a bit, of, when I say a team effort, I don't mean like cheating. I just mean like you're relying on a lot of advice from, of course, of course. especially like upperclassmen who they're, they've all gone through it. A lot of the classes remain the same year after year. There's a lot of turnover, but there is a lot that remains old faithful, I guess, as you want to call right. it. But, they, they pass the binder um, of, of tests passed down to the freshman every year. It wasn't, no, it wasn't to... that easy. It wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't that easy. Um, but so this, I'll share a story about freshman year, first semester. I, I think I line up like four classes. Um, three of them were classes that I was like, okay, I know I have a few buddies in, in this class. Uh, a bunch of people have taken it before. So I know it's like nothing over, like completely overwhelming. Um, but there was one class, it was a psychology class that I was like really interested in psychology at the time. I thought maybe that's what I wanted to major in. And I think I bit off a little bit more than I could chew. And so I went into this class on my own. Um, no teammates, like nobody had even taken this class. So they're like, okay, well, like, good on you for thinking that you can do that. But like, just want to warn you, this is, this isn't going to be easy. And I'm like, okay. So the class I'm reading, I'm like, oh, it's only three, three tests the whole semester. And like, that's your grade. There's no final, like there's no homework every week. It's like, I just got to take three exams and like, so what I did was like, okay, I'll, I was like, I'll level with you. I was actually talking to John Hayden, another name drop, um, plays in the NHL. But Is that he good? was like, if you're going to take this class, take it. It's called credit D fail, which is basically like pass fail. So if I get a 70% in the class, I just get a credit. It doesn't count towards my GPA. So I'm like, okay, perfect. I'll do that. All I got to do is just pass all of these tests and I get a credit. So I take the first exam and this, and like, keep in mind, I'm this class I'm going like, this is my favorite class. I'm going, I'm taking notes every day. Like I'm actually really enjoying this one. And I take the first exam and I get like a 72 and I'm like, okay, that was tight, but Money. I'm still, in the, I'm, I'm still in the green here. I'm, I'm doing all right. I take the second one and I get like a 65 or something like that. And I'm like, okay. Now this last exam, like I really got to show up. Otherwise I'm in trouble. And then keep in mind, all I need is, all I need is a 70. Like I just have to get, I just have to get a 70% and I'm good. So I study for as long as I possibly can for this exam. And I don't remember exactly what I got on it, but it was like not enough. I end up with like a 69% in the class. So I start off my first year at Yale with like an A two B's and a D, a D plus actually. I, they did manage to be nice enough to give me that plus. So um, couldn't figure out how to do it on my own. And then ever since then, I never strayed away from Old Faithful. Like I mentioned, I, I was like, you know what? I learned my lesson early, which was good. I was able to get my, my GPA to recover. Started off a little uh, in the trenches, but yeah. Um, any advice I would give to someone else would be just listen to the people that have been there because as smart as you think you are, 
you're not. <laughs> yep. You got to follow the yellow brick road that the upperclassmen have laid for you already. <laughs> I, I learned that as well. Um, so you go through Yale, uh, obviously do your thing, play, put up numbers. You take us to that point where you, you graduate and obviously a degree from Yale, nothing to scoff at. I'm sure if you put, you know, Yale graduate on application, you're bumped up to the top of the line, but you're at a crossroads at your point in your life where you're like, okay, do I keep playing hockey? Do I keep pursuing that dream to, to make it to the, like the pro level? Or, you know, do I go down the, the avenue that, you know, most people would go coming out of Yale? What, what went into that decision? And, you know, looking back on it, would you have done something differently? Or would you have pretty much gone the same way? You know, you, you decide to turn pro, you go into it, and here we are, however many years later. Um, you know, what was that kind of experience like for you having that moment of sitting down and going, okay, what's next for me now that I'm done with Yale? Yeah, I think as I mentioned earlier, I, I, I've always kind of thought and saw myself as a hockey player. Um, and I think at that point, I, I had a very difficult senior year. I uh, struggled with playing time, uh, never really like reached my full potential that I'd always thought, um, you know, going into Yale where, where I was going to be on the other side of my senior season. And so... I think that setback really motivated me to say, okay, I'm not giving up on this because I know that I have more to give. And at the same point, I'm, I'm very fortunate with uh, a very supportive family. And I think they were always in agreement too. They love, they loved that I got to go to Yale. They didn't care whether I had 10 goals or I had zero goals or I didn't play or I played every game. Like they were just happy for me to be able to do what I want. And I think that, um, I, I'm getting to the point more where now that I'm older, I am interested in other things outside of hockey. But at that point, it was all hockey for me. And I was like, I have something to prove not only to, um, just myself and like that kid inside my own head. That's like, you know, you're going to be a hockey player, but also, you know, the, the people that maybe didn't allow me to have the opportunities that I really wanted. Speaking of like, you know, coaches or whatever, whoever's making the decisions on, um, you know, certain things throughout my career. I think it was just something that I, I owed to myself. And it was kind of crazy because I, I, I knew I was going to go play hockey, but then my first year professional, the season ends because of COVID. So it's like, there's another roadblock. It's like, okay, am I going to be done with hockey now? Or do I think I still have more to give? So then I lose like half a season there, then another half a season to start the next year. And then kind of those years, I, I would say that they were good learning situations and experiences, but I still hadn't felt like I was really reaching my full potential as a hockey player and just maximizing you know, everything that I had. And, and then I ended up in Peoria, which would have been, I guess, my third year of, of hockey, but realistically, like my first full season as a professional. And I think from there, I really found a great home. And, and that's why I'm still here. Um, you know, this is year number three for me here in Peoria. And, um, you know, it's it's been very special. And I think I finally found what I was looking for and what my mindset was when I was graduating college. Um, that was what I, you know, I think it was still everybody, like I said, you know, we want to play in the NHL, but 
for me, it was, it changed at that point. And I was like, I just want to maximize whatever it is that I can bring. And, you know, I think this is a place that I've really found that. And it's, it's pretty special to me. Now you've had a couple. I can tell you from experience, JM is, um, he's a little bit of a, of a deal here. So, um, yeah, it worked out. Yeah, it worked out for him pretty well. So, um, you know, just wanted to just wanted to throw that out there. Um, JM Piotrowski is uh, is a is a name in the in the Peoria area for sure. Well, I, I kind of want to take it. You know, you've you've had a you know, a, we'll say a, a couple a couple sips of coffee in the uh, in the coast, which is just a, the wild wild west when it comes to uh, pro hockey. For for those that know know, um, and this is kind of a maybe a, a three parter. Uh, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to load up the barrel and just kind of fire off. Um, there's again, with the research, unreal research by Durs. Uh, I, I, you know, I have to ask, was there a family tie to the solar bears that didn't, that didn't help you along the way, did it? Yeah. So my sister actually worked for the solar bears, like whenever they first came out of hibernation, as they called it, cause they were a team <laughs> back in like the IHL, like in the, I don't even, I don't remember the years, but I think they came out like again in like 2012 around then my sister had just graduated college and she got a job working, um, probably similar to what you're doing right now, um, with the Americans or some sort of similar role, but in the front office for the solar bears. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't like there, yeah. So that, yeah, there was a family tie. Um, and like the owners there were, I think at the time when I finally got called up there, one of the owners from the original time when my sister was working was still there. So there was a bit of a family connection, which, you know, I never thought that hockey would be one of those occupations where it's all about who, you know, yeah. uh, but I don't think that I, I think hockey and, and minor league specifically is, is absolutely one of the most important, like it's all about who, you know, type of people, because there's so much word of mouth and just like, Oh, we need a guy. There's so much turnover. This yeah. guy's called up. This guy's hurt. Um, so yeah, I, I got, I happened to get lucky with just knowing the right people. And that's how I got my, uh, my opportunity with the solar bears my first year. So I guess second part of that, cause that was just kind of the two part family ties and getting to play in the coast with the solar bears, the solar bears, in my opinion, and now this is not a knock on my organization. We do a fantastic job with the theme night jerseys, but the solar bears take theme nights to a completely different level. So, you know, what a lot of people don't realize, uh, or maybe they do, minor leagues have really just no bearing. They they kind of just like you said, shoot off the hip with theme nights and jerseys. What has been probably today your absolute most favorite theme night jersey that you've worn in your pro career? And Durs, I'm gonna throw that one at you too, because those theme night jerseys, I mean they can become either unreal or atrocities very quick. Oh man. Um, okay. So, We've had about 75 in Peoria this year. So yeah, we have one. Oh, I've been, think, I've been keeping tabs. That's why I had to ask. We don't even, yeah, we wear, rarely even wear our actual home jerseys. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to break the rules here, but I'm going to give you two answers. So my, Favorite one in Peoria is we wore the uh, Mighty Riverman jerseys. They were green and yellow, like Mighty, like the Mighty Ducks movie. Nice. Um, and we were the Mighty Riverman, and it was like a, a river. It was like a duck. It was like the same logo, but it just said Mighty Riverman. And 
um obviously we auctioned the jerseys off after the after the game and um my dad happened to be at that game and i was like it was right around christmas and i was like dad if there's any time you're gonna spend an outrageous amount of money (laughs) on one of my jerseys can you please get me the mighty riverman jersey for christmas so he sat in the in the sands in the auction after the game and he he ended up getting it for me and like i still i wish i had it here i could show you but it's at my home in dallas um that would be my favorite one that i guess like is just kind of goofy and like fits that that criteria but um in the same breath i i played my very first game my very first home game in orlando was cancer survivors night and so we had these like black and pink um obviously solar bears jerseys and it was they play at the amway center which is where the orlando magic play so it's right. it's an nhl quality arena and it's my first game in orlando uh and there must have been like twelve thousand people there or something it was ridiculous i guess probably that the most i've ever played in front of in my entire life i would i would say i've said that a lot this podcast but that one for sure uh the crowds just keep getting and, bigger yeah they keep getting bigger hold on we'll see we'll see where else i can get to um depending on how much i have left in my in my tank but i think uh that one was really cool because i mentioned that one of the owners um you know had like i had that family tie and he happened to be nice enough to to keep that jersey and give it to my family because i've had um you know a history of of my two of my dad's sisters have passed away from breast cancer so um he kind of knew like the family situation and he grabbed the jersey after the game and just gave it gave it to me and um you know so i still have that one at home as well i think that was it's hard to uh to compete with the mighty riverman one but that would definitely be another memorable one for sure i think it's a solid too all right there's you've had time are you wanting one favorite one least favorite or two favorites oh you know what give me give me one favorite one least there's no holding back on that my um okay um my least favorite that i've i've ever had um actually came this season uh in peoria we had country night and (laughs) the jerseys were printed with basically it made it look it was an optical illusion to make it look like we were wearing overalls with a plaid shirt underneath it oh yeehaw and it was like a white and purple plaid shirt with like blue denim overalls and and i walked into the locker room and i was like we're wearing these today um and i yeah i just was flabbergasted to watch people bid on that after the game the funniest part about that honestly though is that if you asked if you pulled the peoria riverman faithful on all the jerseys that we've had this year that would probably be near the top they loved it oh absolute hit they love those jerseys yeah big big time amongst the people no i mean you're 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 in you're right the the bidding was going through the roof that night i couldn't believe it um (laughs) and then probably my my favorite um was uh when i was with pensacola last year actually there's um the american magic yacht racing team um had we had the american magic night and there were like all white jerseys with like the american magic like flag kind of streaking down the middle of the jersey but like kind of like in a minimalist way and then the socks also had the american magic flag like streaking down the middle of our socks um from top to bottom and uh you'd have to see it to really understand um but it was like a really cool take on the actual american flag 
And uh, those were some of the the sickest jerseys, uh, I think, forever. And I tried so hard to swipe a pair of the socks when the season was over, but I was I was I failed at that. And I, I wish it's like I trying to get some. a Red Bull helmet or something like that. Any Red Bull apparel from overseas? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean... <laughs> I'm I'm vying for one of the gold buckets from uh, yeah. Liga. I have no I have no shame in being that guy. Throw a gold bucket with a reflective visor on me and let me be the most hated man in the world. You can steal it from three ice this summer. No comment. Um, um, <laughs> <laughs> what? It's a it's there's just tournaments all over the United States and you can go somewhere and, and maybe you find one. In the Actually, you know what? It'll be public knowledge by the time this drops, but I'm super excited about three ice this season because I am working for the Allen Americans and they are making a stop in Allen. So um, if one of those reflective buckets does come up missing, do not look in my cubicle. Do not look in my house. Um, I do not have it. Stop asking. If you see me wearing it on uh, on social media, sideline swap. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, yes. That's the House of JMP special. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> but no, I think uh, honestly, you know, I I think I speak for for Durs. Uh, it's it's awesome to have you on the podcast. Um, you know, do you have a message maybe for the, uh, the fans there in Peoria for the rest of the season? Like you said, you guys are kind of in the grind right now. Um, you know, we, we've been really grateful to have a, a lot of guys like you on and whenever we tag the team that they're a part of, they're, they're always great about sharing it. So I'm sure we'll get a lot of, uh, Peoria fans. Do you have a message for them, you know, being such a big deal there in Peoria, as Durr said, you know, to, to kind of spread amongst the, uh, the, the mass fan base? Yeah, I think, um, my message would just be that luckily luckily enough two years ago we were able to to win our first championship the city's had in in 22 years i believe and so i think we were pretty close last year but um you know this is a special thing that we have brewing right now and i i think the fans probably know this but it's they are a big part of it you know they support us on the ice off the ice like there's a lot that goes into i'm sure as you know that you know just to be able to keep things afloat in a in a minor league hockey organization so um you know they've been nothing but but family to us here um i'm sure durs can attest to that as well um and i think it's exciting now i'm I'm looking at my calendar here we have a lot of home games coming up and uh you know i look forward to winning more games on home ice and hopefully seeing some house of JMP jerseys in the stands. Got to do it for those U16 boys, the U16 Durs and the U- U16 JMP. They got to live that dream of getting that banner up there. Absolutely. Uh, okay. couple rapid fire questions right off the hip. Um, first and foremost, favorite hockey movie off the top of the head. Oh God. Goon. Goon. I Fantastic love Goon. choice. Fantastic <laughs> choice. Yeah. This one I get chastised for. I've been chastised for it, uh, for it before so because maybe it takes a little bit of thought. Hollywood calls you and says, JMP, we want to make a movie about you and your life uh, in the sport, but you get to pick the actor that plays you. Who is it? Okay, this I normally would never say this, but as this is a recent pheno- phenomenon after watching um, a few shows and movies. Jacob Elordi. I don't know if you know who that is, but he's like the he's the uh hot commodity around hollywood right now i'd say have you seen saltburn yes yeah he's the 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 guy that everyone loves in that i forget what his name is in the movie got it yep yep okay you know i'm talking about just on snl yeah i just hosted snl recently if he were if he were playing me i'd i'd 
be pretty uh, humbled for sure. I mean, you get to pick, so he's playing you. Um, yeah. You get uh, three choices on the on the uh, on the ox pre or uh, pregame. Who are you picking as far as music that's played in the pregame? Like a song or artist or both? Uh, artists. Just go with artists. Make it a little bit easier. If you say okay, King Von, I'm gonna I'm gonna hang up. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm gonna go number one, King Von. <laughs> number two, uh, I'd probably go with like 2001 Nelly because that's like choice. who who I was like obsessed. I used to like wear a band aid under my eye just because I wanted to be like Nelly so much. Bring that um, up. And then I would probably cap that off with 50 cent, like 2000, 2000 to 2005, like get Richard die trying era. Yeah. Many men era. My three. Many, many men will do, yeah. speak for itself. Many yeah. men will do wonders for a team. Um, yeah, well, I think I speak for uh, Durs and everyone that's listening. It's been an awesome interview. Uh, extremely appreciative of your time having you obviously in the middle of the season. It's, you know, it's, it's nice to, to be able to take some time away and, and, uh, you know, steal that from you guys. But um, we always have to ask this of every guest. Durs has gone through it. Durs now has one, uh, a staple trademark. Um, but if you had a sign-off for a podcast, what would it be? God, I wish I would have got some insider information on this one. Uh... It's okay. Durs even had to come up with his own with his first episode when he was actually part of the show. On the spot too, and on the I would spot. have, I would have been okay, much more prepared. I, this, this is going to be like a bit of a cop out. We did talk about the fashion thing, so I would just say my, you know, I'd steal a little bit of Ron Burgundy, but add my own twist on it. It would be, it wouldn't be stay classy; it'd be stay steezy. Oh, okay, that's actually with a perfect. dollar sign as as the S. That's actually that's actually perfect because uh, the rest of our sign offs are pretty similar to that. So. Uh, Durs, you want to start us off being, you know, being officially a part of this? Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, I will see you guys next time or another time. Uh, and on behalf of Jason, Pat and Shannon, make good choices. Stay, uh, stay sassy, stay moist and don't whatever you do. Even if you have to wear purple overalls and a purple plaid shirt, forget your Kermit tattoos.